Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. But usually you have to wait really long or if there's loads of like establishing who people are and where they are and why they're doing it or whatever. Didn't need to do any of that and it's just straight into it. But I think the scene or the part of the movie that like always sticks with me or I always think back to is Zed. That is ingrained in my head. And that's like your worst fear. That's like nightmare stuff. Welcome to the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, a crime world special where we'll be discussing our favourite gangster films with special guests. Each week for the next five, we'll choose two movies from our top ten to review, to rate and to remember. But we want your thoughts too, so go on to our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter or on Instagram to vote for your favourites and be in with a chance to win tickets to a special live show and party. This week... I'm chatting with Crime World's Claude Amini and comedian Emma Doran as they cast their eyes over the Tarantino triumph Pulp Fiction and Martin Scorsese's The Departed. This is the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, only on Crime World. Emma, are you actually a fan of true crime? <laughs> yes, I do like a bit of crime. I do like a bit of crime. It's kind of... It's a little bit of a, I would say, guilty pleasure. So I've binged a few things on Netflix. Yeah. I finished Jeffrey Dahmer now, Fairly Lively. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairly Lively. Love it. Like that's, I can't even say that. And I listened to the one after about the tapes, even though I knew there wasn't really going to be anything new in it because I was listening to it straight away. But I kind of listened to that like a podcast you know, going around the house doing me bits and bobs listening to that. Consuming and were you that. disappointed when it came to an end? Did you want no, more people murdered? I think, like? I, I think by the end of it, what, there was 10 episodes in the series and then the tape one, I think, was four. Yeah. So that was, like, yeah, yeah, that was, what, 14 hours in five days, yeah, I think. quite a lot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I would have, I actually did put on the Jeffrey Dahmer thing and yeah. turned it off after halfway through. Did I have you? no interest in serial killers. I think they're total pussycats. They don't interest me, that end of really? crime. Yeah. Mm. yeah oh, now, Clodagh, you love a yeah, good serial killer. I do killer. love a good serial killer, but I think Jeffrey Dahmer is a bit too hardcore for me now, to be honest. 
Really? Yeah. Yeah, cannibalism. I was just going to say, yeah. was that the part that got you? Yeah, yeah, the cannibalism. I can't stomach it. Yeah, it's not. All. It's not particularly pleasant. No, but uh, I don't know whether I just. I think I would have been. Maybe I've just sort of. I'm like drinking fine wines now when it comes to the crime, but I used to be into it all and then I've sort of done it all, okay. read it all. Do you think uh, I'm only in the Haveny place and I'll No, no, you've a, lot, you've a lot to come, you know, you have a lot of excitement <laughs> coming at you there. But yeah, I would have been really into that whole, um, like, you know, the behavioural psychologist and the setup of the behavioural profile thing in the FBI. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all about the body farm and all the science of that and all that. I was into that and now I'm bored with it. <laughs> so. well, I suppose with, 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 with crime, there's more people involved and it's more, you know, the relationships and what everyone's role is. And yeah, yeah, maybe I'll progress to... You know, yeah. you, I think, I think yeah, you will. Yeah, I have potential. You, you have potential <laughs> if you've done that okay, in that amount of time. Um, but yeah, and I suppose it is a bit, a bit of a guilty pleasure for most yes. people. You know, they're a little bit embarrassed buying their true crime books and all the rest of it. And yet it's one of the most popular genres out there. So oh, I well believe it. Yeah. It's really, it's weird, though, isn't it? Because it's a lot like it's terrible to say, but I find it's a lovely way to relax. So <laughs> <laughs> in the evening. Yeah. Never slept like I've never slept better because I find if I watch comedy, I'm too. I'm. I'm watching different things about it and, you know, I'm too interested in the credits and all that kind of stuff. I can totally understand that, how you couldn't relax to watch comedy. Because funny, a lot of the crime stuff, maybe that's with me as well. Yeah. I know you're sort of going, even the drama, you're going, well, that's not actually the way it happens. This is the way it happens. So it's nearly more work. Yeah. And you're watching, even if I do find it, I'll only, uh, I'll watch a tiny bit of stand up. Yeah. Has to be somebody that like I really love. Because a lot of the times I'm like, oh yeah, you can kind of see that coming, or um, yeah, just some too, ju- too judgy of others, really. Yeah, yeah, saying. yeah. And then I'm like, oh, and then I don't want it to seep into my brain as well. Because <laughs> I saw a fellow before doing a whole bit, and I was like, geez, that's very good. And someone nudged me and said, that's the bit Tommy Tiernan was doing five years ago, and I was like, oh god. Right. So I don't know whether he intentionally nicked it or it just seeped. You know, it could have just seeped into his brain. And he thought he'd had some epiphany and didn't realise. Yes, it's already been done. <laughs> yeah. 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 So and someone I'm called you out on that, that would be horrendous, would it? Yeah, com- another comedian would, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Plagiarism. I don't think an audience probably wouldn't notice, but it'd be, yeah. you know, among your peers, it'd be mortifying, yeah. Tell me this much, because I did see you on stage. I thought you were brilliant. Thanks. Um, <laughs> what is that like? Is it absolutely terrifying in case people don't laugh? I think it must Ooh. be the hardest job in the world. I love it. I like. I'm, now my first gig, I did turn up about two hours early, and like it's, it was just in the Haypenny Bridge Inn. I'm like, I'm a big announcement. Like, I'm here for the comedy, and they're like, okay, great. Like, it's in two hours, and I was probably on that night. It's an open mic night, so they probably have like eleven people. So I think I was like eighth. <laughs> so I was probably on at like quarter to eleven, and I'm rocking at six o'clock in the evening. Just like, excitement. Well, just excitement. But I was really nervous now for that. And they encourage you to tell people. And I was like, I can't tell people. So I think I told people like the day of because they want you to publicly tell people because that's how they sell like, that you're doing this gig. Oh, of course. That's how they sell the tickets. Well, marketing. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I was just like, I don't want to know. No, I don't want anyone to know. And then a couple, a couple of people I knew were there. But it was actually lovely because it went, in my mind, it went well. Like, I'm sure it was horrific. 
But I just did it the first time and then I was like, I'm addicted. And did it, did, it, did you ever feel those nerves again then? You do. It depends on like how big the gig is or how important you think it is. Like there, used, there was a time that, I mean, I have probably pooed in every bar in Dublin. <laughs> like you have to do a nervous poo. Right. Like, and I tell you something, the toilets in the international bar are terrible toilets to start with. There's right. one downstairs and it's kind of like a wardrobe. You go in a door and then there's another door. And you're like trying to do a pre-gig poo and it's just like, ah! Oh, and the ones in the, st- like, I'm giving a review to it's random. The one in the stag's <laughs> head is like, they're saloon doors, you know, when it's like open at oh, the bottom and the top. <laughs> you might as well be like pooing in a field. So it's like, I've got my places down now, but thankfully it doesn't, it's not as physical a reaction right now. But I was yeah. still getting nervous. Yeah. I was still sucking on the vape like 90 before I go out. And how long was ago that first time in the Hapenny? The first in? time was uh, was about nine years ago. So right. I was on maternity leave and I was like, I already, my daughter was 10. I had her when I was young. And then, so I was like more settled, had, a, you know, wasn't living with my mum and dad, was like, you know, wasn't a teenager. And so I was having my son and then I was on leave and I, and I, I had no intentions of going back to the job. But I was like, I'm going to try and do something like funny or whatever. And I think everyone's just like, oh, the baby blues are a bit crazy this time, aren't they? <laughs> What's going on? But uh, I'm delighted I did. Yeah. Delighted. I thought that uh, I was too old. I was 29. Right. Like, that's... That's so young. But at the time, you yeah. think you're old. You, do, you always think, well, yeah. You always yeah. think you're old, yeah. whatever age you yeah. are. You think it's too late or... Yeah. I mean, I thought when I was 12, I'd left it too long because people were already like, going to hip-hop and jazz, funky jazz on a Saturday morning. I was like, oh, I've missed the boat. But That's never, what I thought. When you hit my age, actually, you think people are only about two or three years older than you are ancient. And oh, then that's, you get a shock when you realise that age you are. That's a terrible thing. Yeah, because you're like, does she look horrific for her age or am I totally blind now? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Totally God, she's the in a bad way, yeah. Has she are been very saying, ill? And like, she doesn't she looks exactly the same as you. Could you must have been years ahead of me in school, were you? And then you go, oh, one. Right. <laughs> Bugger. Yeah, that happens a lot, Tanya. That's lot. Ter- it's terrible, isn't it? If you find it's terrible though, because it's quite morbid. Because if you find out that they've been sick or something, you're like, okay, Grand, that explains it then. <laughs> I don't look that bad. <laughs> you're looking great. Great to see you. <gasps> so, the blend of crime and comedy is an interesting one. Mm. And I suppose it's the whole idea of turning crime into entertainment and making people laugh. Yes. While there's a lot of violence going on. And what a movie Pulp Fiction is for Mm. doing that. And of course, we're here to review it a little bit. It's one of my favourite movies. Is it? Love it. It and The Hangover. Really? Love The Hangover. All three of them. All Um, three of them? mm -hmm. See, I, yeah, well, it is funny. In Could fairness. watch them once a week. Yeah, yeah, they are yeah. funny. In fairness, yeah. yeah. But I wouldn't have put. I wouldn't put them together. Oh uh, no. There's many more, but anyway, it's just an insight into my crazy head, <laughs> cra- crazy old head. But um, look, I just I think Pulp Fiction now, 1994, hard to believe. It's just it it stands the test of time. Um, it is those comic moments during it that really make it stand out. Yes. As a Quentin Tarantino masterpiece. So I was only obviously thinking about it coming here. I didn't watch it obviously in 1994 because I was 10. Did you not? <laughs> so I didn't watch it. And then I remember a few years after it came out, because you know the way it wasn't, 
there was a bit of a delay then when movies kind of came over here. I remember people talking about it in school and some people were claiming that they'd seen it and whatever, but they obviously hadn't. And then it got so far that I just got into this zone of like, I'm not going to watch it now because everyone would be like, oh my God, you're only watching this now. <laughs> like the state of you. So I actually watched it for the first time in my early 20s on a bus on an iPod. Right. Back in the day. So we'd gotten an iPod from somebody like they'd gotten an upgrade. What is an iPod? I'm just too young to remember that. <laughs> an iPod. Well, now, was it an iPod? An Apple thing, but it had a screen. Ian? Yeah, an iPod. Yeah, <laughs> it had, like, but a tiny screen. Yeah, like, so like, like, that's a phone. No, like... Uh, iPod, uh, I know the one you're talking about. I had one as well. It's like... iPod just, Touch or something, it's wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we, we got it from somebody. So do you remember everyone I'm had... I'm going to Google that because I don't even know do what Do you remember everyone like. had like the little MP3 players? But that was obviously better than that. Oh, yeah, and they, they were like... I know first. exactly what they were. They were a phone, but they weren't... Well, he couldn't make were, calls. He couldn't make phone calls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was reluctant to say it was a phone. I'm, I'm no tech tech savvy our tech expert Emma's here today but I was, I was holding back and calling it a phone because I was like it's definitely not a phone I'm ringing from my iPod that was the only thing you couldn't do on it yeah wasn't it yeah no it was pretty good and then good. people gave them to kids yeah but I got I, we got one off a mate <laughs> no no this is in my early 20s my fellow one of his friends got a new one like was a like tech person spent loads of money on Apple gear and it came our way. So I was just with it on the bus and I was going through all the movies and I saw Pulp Fiction and I was like, I'm going to finally watch this. And blown away and I've been watching it ever since. Sporadically, like you'll pop yeah. it on or if it's Yeah, every on, couple of years same, yeah. I'll watch it again. Yeah. And then that kind of started as well, um, like the Quentin Tarantino movies, that kind of, you know what I mean? So, because there's loads of, when I was younger, we didn't have like an extra vision card. It was really one of these houses like we don't watch TV, but everyone was mad for TV. My parents had this like snobbery thing about TV. So people were talking about loads of movies when I was younger and I wouldn't have seen them. So then I think during my 20s, I watched a whole load of like Sorry, movies. and why didn't you have an extra vision card? Why? Like what exactly? That's what I want to know. It was just really annoying. But I mean, that was the only social life that was out there for yes. a long time. Where were you in the kitchen? <laughs> I don't know what was going on. It was a real thing of like, oh, turn off the telly or not read a book. No one read. Mm. And no one read. The telly was seen as something that was going to damage you, was it? Like, but my mom and dad both loved the telly. It's just like their shame or something. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> this is like 80s, 90s Ireland. I was like, you aren't alcoholics. Like, cut yourselves a bit of slack and stick on the telly. Like, I don't know. So, um, yes, I eventually got to watch it in mm. my 20s on a bus. And I was like, yeah, give me, give me more. Mm. Loved it. I think the scene... Like when it's, you know, when it's at the start, you're like, here we go. It's kicking off because yeah. usually you have to wait so long. Or that's my, like, that's how I think anyway, in a movie for something to happen. Unless it's like, you know, a big like beat em up movie. But usually you have to wait really long or if just there's loads of like establishing who people are and where they are and why they're doing it or whatever. Didn't need to do any of that. And this just straight into it. I'm like, oh, whoa. But I think the scene or the part of the movie that like always sticks with me or I always think back to is Zed. Oh, God. That is ingrained in my head. Yeah, that's a little bit like, I mean, he is what the creepiest character ever. 
so, and that's like your worst fear. That's like nightmare stuff. And the fact that the two guys are these huge, one's a professional fighter, one's like <laughs> the biggest Big crime. Big gangland yeah. boss, yeah. And he's got the two of them in the basement. And I just, I, I still, even when I was watching it recently, I was like, because oh. at the time, I didn't know what was going to happen because you'd just seen uh, Vince get shot in the apartment by uh, Butch. Mm-hmm. So you think, you're not going to, you're not really thinking he's going to die because he's a really important character. So he just, and it's n- nothing even, it's not not like a big like, oh, is he going to make it? Oh my God, what's going to happen? It's just like, he comes out the door, bang, he's dead. So you're like, when these two are in the basement, you're like, I don't know where this is going to go now. Yeah. You're like, what's going to happen? Like, oh my God. It is one of the most horrible scenes, actually. And it goes on too long. I wanted it to stop much earlier. Did mm-hmm. you? Yeah, it goes on way too long. It just goes on. And you can hear the screaming with the door closed and all the rest of it. Yeah. Interesting, you should bring up the one, the scene, obviously, when Vincent Vega is is murdered and you aren't expecting it. And... This movie, they call it that it it some people say it is told backwards. Some people say it it's it's the fact that the story isn't linear. You're jumping around yes. the timeline. And now you see that so much you know, you see on exactly. TV and stuff. We're so used to it now that you like, oh, this is what they're they're telling it this way. Okay. And back then I think that was really what made the movie stand out in nineteen ninety four. It was one of the first sort of gangster movies of this genre that did that. Um but you know, there's so many little bits to it. And each time you watch it, I don't know if you're the same, you yes. you, come, you know, you think of something else. And the last, when I was watching it before we we just, we were going to talk about it today, I noticed how significant the toilet is with Vincent Vega. He seems to be there sitting on the pot during yeah. very significant moments. Um, so there was obviously when he's killed, he uh, Butch comes back to the apartment to get the father's watch, which is a, a, a totally different scene in itself, a background scene on yeah. where this watch has been kept. I know. Um, it's, such, I it's such a... But he's on the so toilet funny. again, Vincent Vega. He's on the toilet at the end when... Um, yes. Jules is, is you know, holding court in the diner and trying yes. to get this. And he's the book again. And he's, he's in the toilet. He's in the toilet and the book with yeah. the book. Yeah, and he's also in the toilet when Mia is overdosing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, At the he start is. Of the film. Talking to himself. Yeah. Talking to himself, And yeah. warning himself to go home and be good. Yeah. And he's in there too long. And again, you're kind of going, please. That's the whole tension aspect of the movie. But that was what I took from it this time round. You know, oh, how you know significant the Like the is. Mr. Wolf bit. Yeah. It's actually hilarious. hilarious. When you when you watch it again, the fact that he comes in so dapper in like is it like an evening tuxedo? I know to fix this situation where of course Vincent Vega has accidentally shot um a guy they have they have brought with them to they have gone himself and Jules which of course are hitmen yeah. have gone to collect Marcellus Wallace's suitcase of gold which has been stolen by these kind of young lads and they are they hold them up they shoot a number of them and they take with them one of them to bring back to I my understanding was they were bringing him back to Wallace to make him apologize in front of him or whatever and they're going along in the car and he goes over a bump and the gun goes off and they shoot this guy's head off and the car is a mess. They have to come off the main road and they go back to a house of a friend of Jules, which actually is a part played by Quentin Tarantino himself. Yeah. They come to his house and they have these very funny scenes talking about how good the coffee is 
while the mess of this car, you know, the body and what they have to do, they have to clean it up. And yes, Mr. Wolf arrives. It's just so funny, like, or even when Vince goes to dry his hand and he wrecks the towel, he's given out to him about the, like, the towel and everything. So you're thinking like all you can think of is like the car out in the driveway that is destroyed What's in it? <laughs> with like a 20 year old guy in the back with his head blowing off and he's given out to him about the, like the hand towel. Like don't be using the good towels and everything. It's just and if, when he shoots him, it's only because he's trying to get him in on the conversation. Like it's kind of some <laughs> philosophical conversation about did they just was that a miracle that happened in the apartment when we killed your friends? What what do you think? Do you want to get on on this conversation? And that's when he shoots. Yeah, that's when he shoots him. So, I mean, now I am. I'm not a fan of when. Well, I do and I don't. When Quentin puts himself in the movie, I feel like I'd prefer if it was just a smaller role. Right. I prefer if it was just a case of him going up to a counter and like buying a bar or a packet of cigarettes sort and it was of more like, in the background of a yeah, scene yeah kind of like didn't Hitchcock do that like mm. kind of like a sm- I, I'm not a fan of the the big role for him mm-hmm. like I know he doesn't need my advice but I just <laughs> feel like he's doing well I'm just like just a smaller role maybe. we let him know because it nearly takes away from it yeah kind of like, you know you're drawn I'm to taken that out of sure. it then in mm. a way I'm kind of like oh there, there's Quentin oh yeah it's his movie yeah yeah he's given himself like a role and then Brown in it at I know. Start. I forget every time yeah. that she's in it. You go, oh my God, Rona Gallagher. And like it's like it's a small part, but it's not like it's that she was longer longer than a day doing that. Great role for her. Yeah. Then. And actually, I was watching her in it, and she is that is very funny. She's sitting there stoned off her head on the couch, and all this mayhem is going on all around her. Yeah. And she's sort of just sitting there because watching it as if. God, this is this is normal. I know. Yeah, because Uma Thurman—that's like Uma Thurman's character—is like basically going to die, overdosed. Yeah, and been brought into this house where the, these drugs have been brought by Vincent Vega. Of course, he buys heroin. Yeah, and we see him briefly in the movie, kind of driving along, completely and utterly wasted on heroin. And later, she roots into his. He has to, of course, bring her out for a night. Yes, Mrs. Mrs. Mia Wallace, so Marcellus Wallace's wife, um, and he's very nervous and he doesn't want to touch her, basically, in case he gets killed. Because I think the last guy that brought out Mrs. Mia Wallace's wife, something horrific happened to him. Yeah, I think there was there. It's of a building, I think. Yes, so there was a rumour that all he had done was give her a foot massage and that that was the end of him. So he doesn't want to touch her off or whatever. But look, you know, the... There, is it a restaurant or a diner that they go to? I mean, it looks deadly. It's what you, you'd love to go there. It's kind of like what Eddie Rockets like wants to be. You know what I mean? But now I'm like, was that in all in their heads? Was Which there even diner? a dance competition? They're oh, both off their heads. Yeah, of course. Oh, I never thought of that. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I'm sure there was. It's going to have been both having the same. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm like, were they just doing Eddie Rockets? That is a really good point. Like, it's a pretty cool diner. It is diner. amazing. Yeah. The cars that they sit yeah. in and everything. The character is everything, But yeah. there's no alcohol. Still. I would have been really disappointed if you went yeah, in somewhere like that. And I think just... they're off their face, though. You're probably they? right, yeah. Because mm. yeah. he's just gotten the heroin and he's had some before yes. picking her up and she's up in the bedroom doing coke and she goes off to do more. And that's probably why the milkshakes are so nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, because they, they really go on about a nice yeah, yes. well, The innocence yeah. of me that it took you to point that out. <laughs> That's what, what would I know. It was really nice, like. But yeah, it was indeed. Yeah. But she, of course, then later they go back to the house and she reaches into the pocket to take out what she believes to be cocaine and it's heroin and she nearly blows her own brain out with it. I mean, when you um, see that first, you're like... Yeah. You think, oh, she's a goner now. But then the whole way through, you, you just giggle. I know. Despite what's happening, despite the violence and... and what did you li- like about it, Cloda? I liked how it was kind of, you know, each... There was like three different stories and one, you know, I found like at the end of every kind of um, story that Jules and Vince had together, there was almost this agreement at the end of every, you know, crazy thing that happened is we'll never talk about this again. You know, it was said three or four different times. So like, that's what I really liked about it. It kind Mm. of kept it separate into these separate ways, but also blended it all together so well. And of course, Jules has this sort of, you know, he changes during it because he decides he's not going to be a hitman anymore. Yeah. Whereas it's this miracle has happened. He's been shot at. The bullets have missed him. And he talks about, and if I had my notes with me and hadn't forgotten the goddamn things, I would have an exact <laughs> quote. But he talks about uh, Vincent Vega says, to him, well, what are you going to do, Jules? And he says, I'm going to walk the planet. And he's just going to walk the planet. And your man goes, oh, you can't walk the planet. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk the planet. He's amazing. Brilliant actor, Samuel L. Jackson as well. Um, but yeah, he and we we don't really know what happens to Jules because he disappears. He, he, yeah. The last time I think we see him is when they're at Marcellus Wallace's club and they're giving him back the briefcase. The briefcase. Yeah. And that's before... No, I'm confused. No, because they're in they're in the clothes from after the car is cleaned up. You know when they're yes. in the t-shirt and the so shorts. And they, that means they've been to the diner. So that is the end. Yeah. So I think that is. So that's the last scene. That's the last scene, which we see very early on, don't we? Oh no, it's not the last scene because they meet Bruce Willis in there. Yeah. In the club. Butch. Yeah. So it can't that can't, no, be, can't the, be the last scene is them walking out of the the diner. And when he gets his wallet back, but he gives him the money. Butch taken off with the, having been forgiven by Marcellus for, for yeah. not fixing the fight. Now we're really confused. I think we should just, do you not? Yeah. I really think yeah, we should. Yeah. I mean, I have watch watched that. Yeah, watch it again. I've watched that movie about 25 times. And I'm actually getting more confused as we're talking. Uh, yes. But it's not important because you don't know what, I think the great thing about it is you don't know what, um, when it's set. Yeah. You don't re- you don't know what period of time it is, so I, that's not even a distraction when you're rewatching it. It's not there's no there's no like uh, you know big chunky mobile phones or there's there's no cars or suits or you know there's nothing like that yeah, where you're like is. oh that screams like early nineties or whatever. And actually, when you say that, and that's the big difference between it and The Departed, because in a way sort of it is completely fictionalized, isn't it? Pulp fiction, it is completely and utterly comes from someone's head. Whereas The Departed, Martin Scorsese's movie of 2006, is really very, very based on, on real life. Yeah, it's very happened. based on, on real life. It's also, you kind of know when it's set as well because they have, you know, they're gangsters, but they still have these, you know, ridiculous little flip phones. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's set, it's based on the life of, Whitey Bulger, James Bulger, who was, uh, of course, the leader of the White Winter Hill Gang in Boston in the, 
God, the 70s into the mm-hmm. 90s. Um, so we do know, obviously, that, that, that that's kind of the time scale it was based in. Um, the film itself is, it's it's based on, um, it's called Infer- Infernal Affairs, which is a Hong yeah. Kong film. And that film is very much about, it's Sagittarius 2002 as well, but that's for, it's, so four years before mm-hmm. um, The Departed. But that film is very much about identity and so is The Departed and the identity of of the gangster and, and, and mm-hmm. everything like that. Do you know, interestingly, at the beginning of it, and I only watched this a few days ago, so I do remember this, and it's a little bit more straightforward, this one, but it says sometime in Boston or something. When, you, when it opens, it says sometime in Boston. And then the first thing I noticed about it is the Kennedys are in power. So you can kind of date it from that, even though obviously it's very obvious. Yeah, so the op- in the opening scene, Frank Costello, who's played by Jack Nicholson, says, you know, at the moment there's, there's an, you know, 20 years ago an Irishman couldn't get a job and now we've got yeah. one in office. So it kind of does date it in that sense. And it's kind of like it, it, it opens, you see, Emma, with mm. this guy who's played by, it's sort of supposed to be Whitey Bulger. He's Frank Costello is his name, okay. played by Jack Nicholson, who's incredible and he's kind of like so sinister from the beginning he goes into this shop he's collecting obviously you know they're 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 going out and they're taking money from all the businesses mm-hmm. south boston the irish mobs ran that there and he's taking money from the shopkeeper and he's also there's a little boy in the shop and he's telling him to come to him for a job so he's kind of grooming him yeah and mm-hmm. there's a girl behind the counter who is is this shopkeeper's teenage daughter and <coughs> he's saying to her um, you know you should wear makeup and he's whispering in her ear you don't know what it is but it's really very sinister yeah, yeah. I think it, he even asks her at one point have you had your period yet he does oh. there was a lot of conversation that film about periods there was like there's a point where Leonardo DiCaprio who plays Billy Coskin was sitting in a bar and he's drinking a glass of cranberry juice and everyone's like oh are you on your period that's what my girlfriend drinks when she's on her period I'm like I've never drank cranberry juice no and like, like you, people don't mention that as well it's no. all a bit gross yeah I, I object to that we should write to Martin Scorsese yeah. and tell him you tell a man wrote that this was, yeah no, that was unnecessary cranberry in the film. juice when you have a UTI just yeah Martin, exactly just so you know. very yeah. different it's very off. different yeah. <laughs> he thought he picked up a real nugget somewhere where two women got yeah, yeah. yeah, it went off. into his head and he got yeah. it mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, same, same. <laughs> but, um, but Nicholson and the, the Frank Costello goes on to be an ever more sinister, powerful character in it, which, of course, Whitey Bulger was in real life. Yeah, he was. Like, this guy, I mean, in the film, you know, it is very, very based on his what happened to him um in ter- well not his ending i suppose but i mean in terms of he was the the guy frank costello in the film is an fbi informant and that is something that whitey bulger was i actually kind of the character of jack nicholson i kind of wasn't convinced that it should have been jack nicholson playing the role i really was like oh i think i'd prefer robert de niro to be playing this and then when you step back and you realize oh this is based on whitey bulger mm. you kind of you're like yeah that is actually the perfect um casting because he's kind of a bit aloof a bit mm-hmm. lazy fair not as kind of clean cut as I suppose a, a Robert De Niro gangster might be yeah um, tell us a little bit about the plot it's these rival informants and this sort of cat and mouse game between them yeah huge cat and mouse game it's um, so this guy Colin Sullivan who is the little boy that was in the shop with um, Frank Costello at the start he kind of Frank, you know, buys him groceries, gives him money, whatever, asks how his granny is. And 
it from that shot we go to you know there's a the graduation of the the police academy and it's and it's Colin Sullivan who's just graduated from the uh, Mississippi State or the Massachusetts State Police mm, Academy. He's going to be a cop, be a cop. Mm. and we he then goes straight to meet with Frank Costello, who congratulated him, said, "You know, you've had your years in the books. No more reading and writing for you now." So he's basically groomed him into becoming. A, a Isn't mole it interesting in the, piece the way film can do that? That you can have a scene and then move to the next scene, but they don't need to explain to you what happened in between. Yeah, you just know that. Yeah that Frank Costello had got that child and had brought him into his his orbit, basically, mm-hmm. and probably had set him on the roll to become a cop yeah. because he was of use to him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and this guy, like, you know, he goes in, he's got all this ambition to become, you know, he has to get in in a good job. He has to show up, do his work, be really good at it to get where he wants to go for the gang. Um so then we see in another scene, we have Leonardo DiCaprio, on the other hand, who also graduates from the police academy, but they bring him into an office and they're like, yeah, you're really smart, but you're not smart enough to be a cop. So they somehow decide that, oh, the best thing to do with this man is send him undercover. Mm. I would thought you would have need to have been really good at being a cop for that. Well, he's a relative or something who was a major criminal and they're sort of accusing him of only going into the... Actually, they're kind of accusing him of doing what um, Matt Damon's character is doing. They just get a bit mixed up. Yeah. And they set him as an undercover. So they set him back into the gang. They sent him into the gang, yeah. So there's kind of a swap over. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio goes into the the gang and uh, Sullivan is in the in the in the police force and I'm actually going to make you put one of the questions on the survey which we're going to ask the listeners to answer does Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> I was just going to say I don't know if you wanted this to be out in public but go on there now so. just going to say does anyone think <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon look alike I think there's something wrong with you two no well if someone said, if someone told me they were cousins they were like oh <laughs> But like dead writers, no, no. See, I can understand now with the plot why even more confusion around. Was, like. So yeah, I was confused at the beginning of this, definitely. Yes, that's what like I mean. The plot. Yeah, so the one is the car- The plot isn't helping. So you can understand now. Yeah, yeah, I can. Totally, I can. Me. No, not totally. totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I can understand. We can sympathise with you. I don't assign that Nicholas Domino. I don't. Okay, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I just got confused. Um, this movie moves on and uh, you know the two of them are in really stressful roles the cop who's operating kind of like trying to feed secrets to Frank Costello who he calls dad yeah he seems to call him dad under when he's in the police in the police station he'll ring him and be like hey dad I'm not coming home from for supper or whatever or you know we'll call him dad I think it's a more of a pretend that that's who he's speaking to on the phone um I know I've seen some people saying you know that this there's this whole relationship he sees him as a father figure and and stuff like that which is you know fair enough um but yeah the, as the film goes on I mean we start to see 
the pair of them, there is this cat and mouse that kind of eventually the police find out they have a mole and then the gang find out they have a mole. So they're trying to figure out who is who within within each of them. And it, yeah, it does end up on this big cat and mouse thing. And there's so many times where they almost meet and mm. it's, it, they and they both have, they're both having a relationship with the same woman, which is also really stressful. I mean, Billy is... Unnecessary that bit, I thought. Unne- I mean, we're I talking so about... as well. We're criticising, yeah. you know, Martin yeah. Scorsese quite a bit here, but I need, they didn't really need to have the relationship with the same woman, did they? No, I think, especially because I had nothing to do with you uh-huh. know I don't think it brought the plot forward in any way um, I did actually read somebody say oh this is she's a strong independent character She's the, it's the first time Quentin Tarantino has had a strong woman in a film even though her whole point is just to be you know she's I thought she's anything there. but str- a strong okay. she's, yeah. the, she's the psychologist that the police go into if they kill somebody and they're going yeah. to talk about their, their mm. feelings and she's writing the people who are coming in for yeah. psychological help. Well, exactly, and thanks for putting it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely uh, put. She's, uh, she's dating... Um, dating. Dating, dating Colin, dating, but, you know, sleeping with... Um, sleeping with Struck Billy. So. Should we struck off? <laughs> she should. It's, yeah, it's a bit much, I think. I, I definitely yeah. didn't like that part either. Come to think of it. Mm. Yeah, because it was the two The two of them both went to her. Actually, you have a real point at the right. <laughs> <laughs> the two of them both Sorry. went to her to, as, cli- as clients. Yeah. Yeah, we don't like that bit. No, no. Mm. Um, which is, well, I don't think that film, you know, the Bechdel test. Don't think that film would pass. Like, even with even yeah. with her in it, it was kind of very, like, she's just here as do, a... Yeah, I was just going to say, because sometimes you do feel with movies that they, they whack in this romantic storyline, just mm. like it's an afterthought, or, oh, we've got to put in something for them, we'll put, give them... where. Yeah, so it's not always needed to have the romantic thing, you know. No, Especially if it not. feels forced or not authentic, it can like mm. distract you. Well, it's mm. interesting because, like in gangster movie and in real life, sort of underworld, women don't really have an exact role. Mm. Um, they do, you know. There are some, but by and large, it is a ru- a, a world ruled by men and where women are on their arm, yeah. which is what makes. Uma Thurman's character, she's, I think she's way more interesting. While she is somebody, yes. she's his wife and that, but yes. you can see she has, there's a boredom about her. The thing about the pilot is very good. What was the thing? I missed that again. 20, so 25, six the bit times about the pilot it. was, so they, what the, what they were getting fed or the little gossip among them was the thing about the foot massage, but also that she'd been in a TV pilot. Yes. Mm. So you just kind of got an insight into her character that, you know, She'd done this, but it hadn't worked out. And here she is. And she, I, yeah, her character was really I thought her character, and, yeah, very yeah. much so, yeah. And there's she's bored, but yeah. she's still, you know. She's still a developed character, I yes. felt. It wasn't mm. like, oh, they're just wedging in this one now for no reason. Exactly, so, yeah. yeah. No, she's, she's a good character. But the end of Obviously Departed is pretty... Grim. Grim, isn't it? Yeah. Um, sort of unsatisfactory nearly. Yeah, I mean... And I'm going to tell you about Whitey Bulger's <laughs> real end in a minute to give you nightmares. Oh, okay. oh God. Oh, yeah, horrible. Um, <laughs> you said that, I was like, like, I should have agreed with her totally. <laughs> <laughs> like, at the end of the movie, I guess there's this... So one of the motifs to write the film is that he's put in the background of every scene there's like an X so if somebody if they're talking about somebody being killed or somebody's about to be killed you can see X's in the background so they're like in on you know in, in tape on walls and on mirrors or sorry windows and I the, completely the missed that what do you mean and stuff like that so yeah there's like you know the scene at the end where um, 
uh, Colin comes out of the lift yeah. and he's walking along. The dog goes to pet the dog. The dog doesn't want to look at him. But the ground is all loads of X's on it. Okay. Um, when um, Queen Inn is pushed off the roof, the windows, they all have X's taped on them. Yeah. Um, I think as I'm well during, back and look at that. During, during... I'm not sort of like disbelieving you. I'm during just... the opening scene as well, there's, you know, shadows across um, Costello's face. They're all X's and stuff like that because we don't really see his face for a while. He's kind of in the shadows doing this monologue. Is this a much talked about really like important part of the movie that I missed? No, I think you can watch the film and, and like be... Miss it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Like, I knew about the X's before I watched it and I didn't even bother looking out for them. And then I, at the end, I was like, oh, I wonder where they were. And I went back and I was like, oh, my God, they were so obvious. Yeah. Like, once you see them, you know they're there. Right. Um, but it was an interesting way for him to kind of do it. But, uh, yeah, anyway, at the end, I mean, the film is called The Departed because I guess it comes from, you know, the whole idea of when you're talking about death in the Catholic Church, you know, the, the dearly departed or whatever. Mm. Um, everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much everyone dies. Pretty much everyone. Um I actually really didn't like the character of Mark Wahlberg. Didn't like him at all. And then at the end I was like, hero, do you know? Mm-hmm. Really he came in and he basically at the very end of the at the film, um just explain who Mark Wahlberg is. Mark Wahlberg is playing the character for those of, who forget <laughs> <laughs> of uh, Sergeant Dignam who is working with the um the police unit within the Massachusetts State Police who were trying to infiltrate Costello's gang. So basically what happens is, like, Billy finds out that Colin is this the the um, mole and vice versa. They, they find out Colin meets Billy. Billy holds him hostage. He's trying to get him arrested. Uh, then Billy had actually called his friend Trooper Brown, who's played by Anthony Anderson, to come to the roof to confirm that he was who he was saying he was. He was like, you know who I am, you know who I am, because um, Colin had deleted his file from the the police system. So basically, because he went undercover and he went to prison and stuff like that, he basically went in and deleted it so that if he did go to the cops, um, you know, and he was said, I'm a police officer, that they believe him, but now that his file is gone, they can't. So, you know, Trooper Brown comes along, the three of them are going down on a lift. Next thing you know, there's another... Um, Mo, um, who had been in the the, the police with uh, from Costello's gang, and basically he says to Frank, "I'm or to Colin, I'm the other mole." After Colin had shot not only Billy and Trooper Brown, but then he goes ahead and he shoots the other mole, so he can kind of put this story off, blame him on actually being the mole, and. Um, and at the end of the film, then you know he's he's gonna he wants to give Leo DiCaprio's cap character accommodation for you know his work he died or whatever for the force um and at the end we see him coming in to his apartment block with a bag of groceries which is also how he's introduced to us he had this bag of groceries from Frank Costello and he goes into his apartment opens the door and next of all Mark Wahlberg is there in full forensic gear like professional killer that the booties and all on the whole lot shoots him walks off gone everyone's dead so I don't know how they were going to do a part two I don't think you'd like it (laughs) (laughs) no why I just don't I think it's like a little bit of crack in it yeah maybe a little bit of crack and there's not there's no there's no crack no it's not really there's no comedy moments in it at all comic moments in it at all and maybe that's a Scorsese thing I don't know enough about movies to to know that but there isn't kind of any moments of humour in it it is very dark 
the mm. whole thing. It's very gangster. And I wonder, is that, is it a blokey film? Yeah, you see, I always thought that films like this, I it's only in the last while that I've actually watched any gangster films. Like I watched Goodfellas for the first time over the summer. Yeah. And I always thought, well, I'm not the target audience for this. Like I was, you know, like... 10, 11 when this film She came likes out. the serial killers like yourself. Okay. Yeah, yeah so of. it was never... Yeah. But now, obviously, now that I'm I'm working on Crime World, yeah. you, you find it, you kind of have... I've kind of moved into liking the gangland stuff and the gangster stuff because I'm like, wow, yeah. this is so fascinating, like figuring out what the relationships are like and who's who and what who said what and who. And, you know, the whole thing of the film as well was... So it is very blokey, 100%. Yes. It's very blokey. I think there's this idea that the, the serial killers and the murderers are of interest to women because it's kind of almost like you're learning. You're like, okay, well, if I get into this situation, I know what to do. Or you're kind of, it's such a big fear. Whereas gangster films like this and Goodfellas, they're very like blokey in the sense that they're the American dream. Mm. And it's like, it was never it would never have appealed to me before because, you know, it's it, it it's that idea of, you know, being the big man and mm-hmm. buying drugs and shooting people and, you know, women and whiskey and, and all that jazz. So it is a very blokey film. Yeah. Um, I but did. you're kind of hooked on them now, are you? Yeah. yeah. You yeah. see, it's funny, Emma, as well, because I often think that um, that is, that the difference, I haven't really, you know, I do know that the men like the gangland stuff they do. and the organised crime stuff. And I think it's because people get shot. There isn't necessarily a big murder mystery. Yeah. We know why they get shot, whereas the women prefer to sort of engage or spend their time on the likes of the serial killers yes. or that mystery or that sort of unsolved thing. There's people, a lot of yeah. it. I think with the serial killer stuff, it's a lot of what what was the trauma? What like psychologically? What happened? You know, was it nature? Was it nurture? Whatever. And my fellow be sitting beside me going, "Yeah, he's fucking like he's evil. Like he's fucked in the head. That's all there is to it." You know, whereas I was less like more like getting getting into the mind and like, oh my god, this happened and that happened and whatever. And uh, yeah, so I can totally get it. That's this, and is it the same sort of? So you're. Going on the tour, I should be attending. But yes. is it the same with your audience? Is there a difference between I find the men and women? Yes. <laughs> so there is men and women, or even like I would gig, like do lots of club gigs to get my own show together. So there's definitely parts where I know that the women will enjoy it more, or they'll just get it on a different level. So the aim is to have it like, you know, funny because you're trying it out in all different places and all different types of people. But um, when I see a women, like when I see a woman with tears in her eyes, that means a lot more of laughter. Like that means a lot more to me. Yes. Than, than if a man yeah, has tears in their eyes. Does, yeah. Why? Because I know that that woman is crying of laughter from something I've said that she has lived or experienced and hasn't vocalised yet. It's usually if you haven't vocalised it or you haven't thought about it in that way, mm-hmm. that just means, like, I still love the fellas, but, you know, I want, uh, I'd say the dream audience is a, uh, mostly women, but you need a few men to make a show of them as well. And they do love it. And they love it. They do because love the bit when, of attention. <laughs> when I saw you on, at the Joanne McNally yeah. gig in Vicker Street, um she actually came on and 
said, where's the one man? Oh, yeah. And there was one, wasn't there? Was there was only one. I mean, yes. it, was, it was a sea of women. Yeah, yeah. There. And yeah. And I sort of wonder, do you, have you, like, you obviously know who, are, are your audience more mixed than hers? Um, well, I don't know. If I go on, ins- if I go and look who follows me, it's 80 something percent women. Right. So the rest are men. And I'd say a good percentage of those men are gay men. So I'm just like, I'm doing something right. Because if it was 70% straight men, I'd be in a panic. Would you? I think I'm probably, yeah, I would be in a panic. Because I'd be just like, why? Do you know what I mean? Although you have a lot of men that follow you, I'm sure. But probably for the gangland stuff, obviously. And Yeah, but I know a lot of men that are into you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of men I know that I tell them I spent the morning with you, they'll be well gel. Yeah. That's I'll, I'll dine out that myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, they like the, they like the bit of gangland. They like, they like, a, bit a, of, they like a bit of you. They, Come on now. They like a bit, little bit of gangland. They certainly don't. They're not into the, what I would say, is the touchy-feely crime, which is the yeah. kind of more, yeah. um, you know, when I know. the serial killer, the, the Jeffrey Dahmers, yeah. the eating other people's flesh and that yeah. kind of stuff. That's just... Too girly. Yeah. <laughs> Way too But I don't, I don't, if I go, I've done gigs before and it's been a load of men. I don't change what I'm saying. And it's still all funny and we all have great crack. Yeah. But, you know, there'd be certain gags I might keep when it's a room full of women. Yeah. Because we'll have a pro- like, do you know what I mean? Tell me, where are you performing and what's the year looking like? So the year is, I have um, two Liberty Halls in November and they're sold. So I'm only saying that's to show off. They're sold Basically, out. yeah. But I'm doing, so I'm doing a tour in the new year. So mm. I'll be going all around the country and um, I'll be just banging on about that. You know, I'll be on the six o'clock show going, this is lovely. So tell us about your tour, Emma. I'll be doing all that. And how long do you on, are you on stage? Like um, The plan is about an hour. On your own? Yeah. That's the plan. And do you memorise it all or do you? Yeah, I usually do. I don't, I know some people write stuff on their hand and I don't usually, I try because yeah. I find that more of a distraction really. Because I'm, you, if you, you know, if it's something that long, if you do forget, you, you will remember. And I will just say, oh, come here, I forgot to tell you. So, oh, and do you, do you kind of like, do you usually stay in the sequence that you're, you're, you intend to be in or do you? Yeah, for an hour I would. I'd have a plan of what I'd be saying because it would just have a better flow if I said this after this. That's or an amazing big brain then. Because how do you remember that for an? I mean, that people do people realize how much it takes to remember, remember something for an in, hour um, in bullet points? Right. Do you know what I mean? So you might have your your topics. Yeah. So. But you're doing that. Me fella, me and they're not up me on kids, the. Whatever. They're not <laughs> up on Willy, the screen. Whatever it is. They're in your imaginary. Yeah, yeah, just in your head. Can you see something up there? <laughs> no, I don't visualise it up there. It's just, it's just, I just watching your hand. Yeah. No, I just, yeah. um, but you've done it. You've, you've just haven't done all of it together. So you've done it in different chunks. She for like one tours. of those geniuses that imagines a big black. Oh yeah, you know those things? yeah. Your, what was the chess yeah. one on Netflix? What was that? Oh, called? Yeah, the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. looking yeah. at the scene like nobody's chess, business. Yeah. You're at the end, you're like, oh, stop looking at the shagging scene and look like. <laughs> but off. you could even say that you can see that because I'm that makes I you should. really interesting if you're one of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe I should. That'd be, yeah, I'll do. Take that. If I'm doing that. a few How interviews and stuff, yeah, I'll say, oh, well, I'll whack out that genius bit now. I'm like, yeah, I will. <laughs> that might get me on the late, late, would it? It might, it might. Yeah, yeah. But it's all going really well for you. Yeah, because I quit my job a year ago, about mm. a year ago. So that was a bit of a mm, gamble, but paid off 
uh, for now. Yeah. Like I've gotten, you know, I've had work and all. Unless so. you cancel yourself. I know. But you can't I could. do as a comedian, can you? I think it's pretty hard. You've got to be assaulting a few people, I think. <laughs> like so, but I'm just too busy. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Um, it wouldn't be my bag. But I, yeah, I think as a comedian, you've really you've you've got to nearly try to get cancelled mm-hmm. because I don't think any comedians are holding themselves up there as the moral compass or you know there's none of that so um yeah I think if I was in uh, I think if I was a politician I would mean I'd be finished yeah. if I was a guard <laughs> if I was right a teacher job. like I'd be gone but um I think comedy is if you're um a bad person it's a pretty good place to go I think you're pretty safe right yeah yeah so. <laughs> yeah there's a lot like yeah I think so and like a final question, I suppose. Oh, yeah. Do women belong in it or how long has it been a place where women have succeeded? Because we Ooh. have we have really good female com- yeah. comedians coming out do of you Ireland. Know, do you know, I think it's so interesting because so I did my first gig nine years ago and it's really changed since then. Like even I noticed a lot more uh, and I'm sure this is for people in lots of different industries as a female, but lots of um you know, tokenism. So I would like be put on bills when I wasn't even doing stand up a year with like men who've been doing it 25 years just because they're like, oh, we better put a woman on. So it all looks like, you know, we're giving women opportunities. Whereas it's it's only just setting you up to fail because, well, there's uh, there's women out there who have as much experience as those male comedians, but they haven't had the right channels to, you know, continue in their careers or whatever and I was told like oh I couldn't MC because I was a woman and only nine years ago yeah so after a couple of years of doing stand-up I wanted to MC because I was like an extra string to my you know bow and all that and you get more money for MCing and I was thinking as well like it'd just be a good thing to do because it's a different skill where you're like engaging with the audience and thinking fast or whatever and I was told that um audiences don't like female comedians I was told by a big promoter that there'd be no point in me really doing I because he was asking me what do you want to do and I said oh, I'd love to do shows where like uh, you know for everyone but like women could really come and laugh mm. and like you know moms as well would really kind of relate to the stuff and he told me he was like there's no point they don't go out right and he was like a big promoter so I was just like oh okay then so I think I, I can only I can only imagine what it was like when so Deirdre Cain was starting. That that difficult to be a big promoter if that's what you think. <laughs> I know, that's what he said. That's what he said to me. So I was like, oh, there must be a bit of truth in that. But I think it's I think so much has changed even in the last few years across the board. You know, I just feel like there's a different energy mm. and people are just not accepting stuff as much and I know that's happened in other industries not just stand-up comedy and uh, I mean yeah like just the fact like things like Joanne selling so many shows yeah. it's like well you can't say there's not and like they're going out and going out in their droves she seems to be working I mean she's yeah London now and like she's it's, oh I think it's like over 60 nights in Vicar Street now yeah like that's insane but all those people are there ready to to see her. Yeah. You know, and there's plenty, it's not like there's plenty of other stuff and they're making the choice to go to see Joanne. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yeah, I suppose I think a lot has changed in like the last um, 10 years where 
yeah, people have just... You don't have to fight for your corner anymore then. No, people have coughed down. And like, I, there wasn't really... No, there was obviously like fem- other female comedians, but like you'd never meet each other. I thought it was constantly just Eleanor Tiernan wearing a wig all the time every time <laughs> I saw this poster because I was like, who are these women? I've never met them because you don't... They'd only, they'd only put one female on the bill. They didn't want to put more because then it becomes a female night. Mm-hmm. That's what they would have thought. Whereas now I feel like it's still there in some clubs, but it's definitely like being eroded. Yeah. But you know yourself, like it's. And are you guys nice to one another? Like, no, we all hate each other. Do you? There is a lot. Well, (laughs) there's loads. There's the thing I love about comedy is there's loads of comedians that really hate each other. But like, if you say like, if your mate in comedy hates somebody and you like them and you get on with them and you're friends. That's absolutely fine. But it's all these like old um, arguments and bitterness and like it's uh, it's really funny. Like, yeah, there's lots of little um, there's lots of little enemies in it now. Like it's gas. Yeah, yeah, businesses, yeah. But I uh, know I'd say for the most part, like you would, you're all kind of in a way. Like did the Irish yeah, you're all ki- big one another up a lot? And you wouldn't really big, but do Irish people big each other maybe up? Maybe not. You'd be a bit like, oh, scared. Because even if somebody was, if I saw another comedian like bigging me up, like bigging me up big time, I'd be like, what the so. fuck do they want now? <laughs> <laughs> What's their game? What's their angle? And there would be a fucking angle as well. Yeah. They'd be like, on to me for something. Yeah. Like, here we go. Here we go. But um, <laughs> uh, no, do you know what? For the most part, everyone will get on and they'd be kind of like cousins, right. you know, and you go through periods of gigging with the same people for a few months, you know, every gig you're trying to, and then it kind of change again and you'd be hanging around with somebody else. It's kind of, it's weird, like, yeah. but, but there's loads, but like I wouldn't have talked to you during lockdown because we weren't gigging. Right. And then we're back again. Very around. like cousins. You yeah. might see them in years. Like yeah, yeah. You just pick up where you left off because mm. you have you have so much in common. So I'm trying to think if I have any e- enemies. No, I don't. I think some of them. I think a lot of them have stopped. But I would have had like um, people I'd would have been at the same level at, with at one stage. Or like when I started, I was like, oh, I have to get better than him. I have to get better than him. And like he's an engineer, and like he didn't. This wasn't in his head at all. But I was like, I have to get better. Like I'm, he's doing. He's headlining that gig, and I want and. And then you just don't care after a while. Yeah. You're like, but it's good crack at the start to keep you going, to have an enemy who's not an enemy. Like, do you know what I mean? And I have to ask you this. I'm sorry for asking all oh. these questions. I'm a total fangirl here on <laughs> all the rest of it. But um, like, did you ever go out to tell a joke and nobody laughs and they all just look at you and did, like... Of course. And what do you do then? What do you do? Like, It just do depends just, on, the, on oh. the time. Because, some, you see, sometimes... Like if you had a really bad night, a really bad audience, or yeah, you would. Or you? like, so you basically how I would describe it is sometimes you go out and like they will laugh and there will be laughter, but you walk away from it and you kind of say, "We're not going to stay in touch." <laughs> it's like a bad first date, so it's all nice on the surface, and no one in the pub is looking over, going, "Jesus Christ, what's happening there?" It all looks normal or whatever, but you all just know. It, fe- it doesn't feel good and it feels horrible and forced and it's just icky. So you'd have a bit of that. But like sometimes you just don't know because you could you could have something that you've done like 10 times and it's worked really, really well and then you go and do it and they're just like, no. Don't like it anymore. So it's a bit like, like relationships then. Yeah. Oh, it's a total relationship because it is really like, 
I don't know what the science of it is, but like a room becomes, I'm not, I'm saying like Spice Girls song, two become one now, but like <laughs> a room becomes one thing. Mm. And they, the room controls and they dictate what the energy is. So it's a weird thing. It can really like, sometimes I think you need a few people in that room to really be in the right mood and really want to be there and really want to laugh to like start uh, affecting the rest of the energy in the room. Because you're all like, you know yourself, like if you're on a bus or something and there's someone who's like kicking off, you start kind of like, you know, going into yourself and like, I'm just going to smash my head against the window and hope <laughs> for the best. But like if there's, if everyone's on a good mood on the bus, it's like, but nothing will Infectious have happened. Nearly, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, you can feel it like in your body. So, so much of it does, like it sounds real cheesy when you thank the audience, like, oh, thanks for being a great audience. Da, da, da. But you do actually mean it because if they're not up for it. And the thing is, by the time you get, if you're like doing, I don't know, if you're headlining a thing or if it's like, you kind of like, at least 90% of that material you, you know works and you've done it time and time again. So if they're not laughing, it is kind of on them. Well, sometimes it is. I love doing a new bit. And if that works, that's a great buzz off that. Yeah. But you just, I don't know, you just take a, a U-turn. Yeah. I usually, I'll take a U-turn or I'll start talking to someone. I usually start talking to someone in a panic then. I'll just say, well, you, what's your name? What do you do? You just get yourself out of it, <laughs> yeah, basically. Just distract, it. Yeah, No, I just distract. often wondered about it. I think it's Rabbit a Rabbit out of a hat. Very brave job, anyway. After yeah. you're well, you're well. Do you well, get that all the time, brave and stuff now? But you see now, if someone says to me, brave after a gig, I think, oh, that was an absolute <laughs> clanger of a gig. <laughs> someone comes up and goes, you're very brave. I was like, jeez, no, how bad yeah. was that? It's one of those Irish words. You kept going it? with it. Even when it was shite, you kept going. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, but you, you, I mean, there's a lot of, I do a lot of gigs like for tourists on Tuesday nights where there's nothing to be, there's nothing to be lost Yes. I'm just testing out stuff to see. It's like a one night stand. Yeah. It's just really so if the couple from, you know, Mississippi got a kick out of it, I'm like, okay, well, there's something in that. You know what I mean? That's, I mean, so I'm not really, I'm not nervous about those ones. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying it out on, I'm basically just trying to out on a whole load of tourists before I bring it, before I bring it to any Irish people any <laughs> on people a weekend you might, night. You might have to see again. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, Emma, Doran, we hope to see you on the 1st of December. Yes. Just looking forward to it. Me too. And thank you for reviewing Pulp Fiction. Thank you, Clodagh. You have more work to do. You've been listening to the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, only on Crime World. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.